All right. Hey, hey guys. I'm here today with Roland Fraser. He's a principal from Digital Market, a company that a lot of us are familiar with and love. But his background is really exciting. So Roland practiced business tax and securities laws for over 12 years and is an active investor in dozens of companies. So a lot of his time now goes into scaling portfolio companies and taking them to exit. So super excited to have him on the show and just talk about all this exciting stuff he's been up to the last his career, basically. It's, 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 super, it's super exciting for me. So Roland, Roland, where are you at the moment? Uh, I am uncharacteristically at home. I just got back yesterday from Dallas and uh, I'm here for two more days. I head down to Mexico and then London and uh, New York and <laughs> Las Vegas on my next couple of weeks. How, what's it like traveling that much? Because does that take a lot of energy or do you just, it's in your mind? I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. I think it's important to travel well if you're going to travel that much to be sure that you take care of yourself uh, by treating yourself to uh, to the right airlines and the right uh, places to stay so that you're not, so that travel is not a drag. It's just kind of like you take your wonderful home with you wherever you go. And, uh, and I actually love it. Okay. Can you take us back? I always like to start at the beginning of the story. How did you get into the space and what kind of motivated you to change into investing in the way you are now? Sure. So um, how did I get into the, into investing or how did I get into take us uh, to the, the beginning of your career. digital marketing Take us to the beginning of your career. How do you get into business in general? Yeah, sure. So uh, I started I started with uh, real estate investing. Um, I got my real estate license when I was 18 years old and then uh, saw that the best way to leverage that was to go to builders so I didn't have to go out and get listings one and one or two at a time. Leverage is, has been a key theme throughout my life. I'm always looking for where are the leverage points. And uh, so I went to builders and developers and made an arrangement to sell their houses so I could sell hundreds of houses instead of just one at a time. And then um, from there, I, got, I asked them how they were raising money to do the deals that they did. And uh, I learned that they were doing it through syndications. And that's basically just partnerships where they get investors to come in and put up money and then they do the deal and get a piece of the deal. And um, they needed key man insurance for that. So I got my insurance license when I was 19. I got my securities license when I was 20 so I could start selling. I could got, go get investors to invest in those deals. And um, during that time, I was getting a degree in accounting. And then uh, as I saw these real estate things, I started investing in those deals. So I did developments as well. I think the largest one was maybe about a thousand houses and uh, where we would go and acquire the land, entitle it, get it zoned, build houses, and then sell them. And um, I had the opportunity to connect with Prudential Securities as part of doing that in New York City and um, ended up finding out that you could do the same thing with companies. And I was like, well, companies sound a lot more interesting to me than I, I still like real estate. I'm still an investor in it, but I really like companies because their stories and there's so many more leverage points with companies than there are with real estate. So uh, started doing those deals with Prudential and then kind of worked my way into doing it myself. And when I graduated from law school, I hung out my shingle and started practicing law and uh, uh, turned down a a job with the Securities and Exchange Commission and a, an advanced law degree at Georgetown University and decided I was going to kind of do my own thing and 
while practicing law, use that to meet lots of entrepreneurs who I could serve in the legal space, but also have the opportunity to invest with. And so what I started doing was doing deals with my clients where um, I'd see opportunities in their business and I'd say, well, instead of paying me for legal services, why don't we go and do this deal together and I don't wanna take anything away from you that you're already making, but let's do a baseline deal and say, if you're making a certain amount of money now, um, let me come in, don't pay me the legal fees, I'll do my thing, I'll help you improve the business and we'll split the profits. And the very first deal I did with that, um, we ended up making an extra million eight over a nine month period split that 50-50 and I was like, that was kind of fun, an extra 900 grand and uh, never stopped ever since then. Okay. See, it's a very interesting way of thinking and I guess obviously you picked it up when you are doing the deals. What led you to this way of thinking in the first place? What made you so entrepreneurial? Was there something in your youth that was a bit different to most people or? Um, I don't know. I mean, I it just seemed like the thing to do. It was, I mean, I, I think it's a pretty easy thing to do to say, hey, uh, you can pay me money and then I could invest in your company or I could invest in your company or instead of paying me that money, why don't I invest what you would have paid me in the company and we both end up making more and I'm not a cost center, I'm a profit center and uh, and a partner instead of a contractor. So that just, that... It seems common sense when you say it like that. It just, most people don't think that way it's going to work out what, what, what changed your wiring to really think in such an entrepreneurial way that at such an early age too, like most people won't see that until much later down the track. Yeah, I have, uh, I, it's funny, I worked with a guy named Patrick Combs who, Combs, who is, his specialty is identifying like what, kind of what your superpower is or, or how, you, how you think or what's different or whatever. And what, what he identified that I think is true is uh, my background prior to getting into business, uh, it was being a musician. So I started playing out in clubs when I was 15 years old and played until I was about 42. And um, so I write music, I write stories and poems, and I love to create, uh, write songs. So I think that what, what he identified is that it's I'm 50% business, 50% creative. And I love to be creative, I love puzzles, so I like the reason I like securities law and tax law and uh, those kinds of things is they're very complicated puzzles. And so I think business is a complicated puzzle as well. And so to me, it's just a natural, it's like SEO. I was drawn when I got into marketing to SEO because SEO is to me the most complicated puzzle in marketing. And so I like that. So uh, I think that's what causes me to think that way. I had the benefit of uh, my father was a tax attorney, still practices to this day. And so my childhood was a lot of meeting different entrepreneurs who were making money different ways and so i just kind of took the creative part with the business part and seemed like it made sense that makes a lot more sense in that context it's left brain right brain and that family influence that's cool i think what i want to know how did digital market actually start how did the three of three or four of you connect and create this awesome rapidly growing company yeah so uh, i had the benefit of meeting. I, I was, I was developing websites. I had sites uh, on channels on America Online and CompuServe. If you are <laughs> old enough, to remember those things. And um, uh, so I was, I was into the online space. I saw that it was a coming thing. That it was really, it was a place I wanted to be. So I made the. I, I believe I'm a big believer in flow. So when you see 
massive changes taking place in an industry or in our society, I think that it makes sense to try to get into, to get in front of them so that the opportunity will wash through you. And so I saw the opportunity as faster speeds were coming and the World Wide Web um, was, was moving along. And so I started by tapping into the communities that already existed in CompuServe and America Online. And then I began developing my own sites. And back in the day, it cost me about 50 grand just to put up a, effectively a splash page, right? And, um, and so I was doing that and um, saw that there was a few people that seemed to really know what they were talking about that I followed. And one of them was a guy named Brian Dice, and um, I thought he was—I thought his stuff seemed like he was actually doing this. And so that's really important. I, I don't like people who just teach if they're not actually continuing hmm. to this day to do it. So I subscribed to their to his stuff, and he came out with a, a product with a guy named Mr. X, and it was called Wholesale Traffic System. And uh, Mr. X was Perry Belcher, who had just gone through some challenges. Uh, in his own business and partnered up with Ryan and they they took this all this AdWords stuff that he was doing and I was like oh my gosh this is great buy traffic at at wholesale and then turn it into you know into customers I, I'm definitely interested in that I bought the program they uh, formed a company shortly after that called digital marketer and uh, and another gentleman Richard Linder was was uh, part of that and uh, he's now the president of digital marketer and one of my one of my partners with Ryan and Perry and um, I, then they held this event called Traffic and Conversion Summit. And I was like, traffic and conversion? That sounds amazing. I, I'm interested. So I attended that. And there were, I think, six, 600 people or so, so at that first one. It's 10 years old now. And um, at that, they, they didn't know what to sell. They were like, gosh, this costs a lot of money doing this event. I don't know what to sell. Let's sell the mastermind. And we'll call it War Room. And I did, I did not... Uh, joined the first one and then I kicked myself all year for a year saying I should have joined that it seemed like there were a lot of cool people and I really think these guys have something and I decided that when the next year rolled around I was going to make it a point to get to know them and I've always identified the channels of access that people create that I want to get to know so if I want to get to know Ryan and Perry and they've got this thing called War Room I'm gonna join it because then I'm a customer and I've paid I've gone through the paid channel of access that they created to be closer to them. So I joined that, um, and now, since then, I've done that dozens of times. Um, the most recent one is at our, now I'm a partner in Traffic and Conversion Summit and War Room and all these other things, and we're having, uh, we're in the final stages of having Richard Branson appear because I want to get so to know that. Richard Branson. So as Richard Branson has a paid channel of access, you can donate to his you know, or, or do a deal with his Virgin Unite charity, and he gives all the money to the charity, and then he comes to your event. And at the event, we say, hey, also, we want you to spend some time with us. So now I'm going to have a conversation with him next month, and that's kind of my next level up with him. So I've done that over my career, you know, a lot of times. And I did that with uh, Ryan and Perry, and I said then, after I joined, I was like, okay, well, now I need to get them to notice me. What's the channel to get noticed? And they have this competition for the people that are in this war room mastermind called Wicked Smart. And I was like, okay, I gotta go. I have to win Wicked Smart. If I win Wicked Smart, then they'll they'll be like, oh, we should get to know him. And my objective, my intention, which I think it's important to also have anytime that you're trying to make a connection or do a deal, my intention was to take 
the knowledge that they had in the marketing world and apply it to the deal flow that I had in the investment banking world because taking the companies that you buy and adding great marketing, because most of them don't have it, seemed like a natural to me to marry those two things up. So I went to the second traffic and conversion summit and I said, I want to join your mastermind. And they said, you can't. I was like, oh crap, it's full? And they're like, oh no, we haven't printed the forms yet. And I was like, oh God, thank God. Okay, <laughs> great, I wanna join as soon as you print those forms up. And they said, okay, our sales prevention department is gonna get those printed right away. So uh, <laughs> I joined it and I went and I won Wicked Smart and um, they came uh, over to me and said, you know, hey, we want you to, you know, we're gonna do dinner for the, a few people, we want you to sit with us and let's talk. And we talked and hit it off and over the next, uh, three years, I participated in that. I won Wicked Smart a whole bunch of times and um, got to know both those guys and um, didn't really get to know Richard well until until later. But um, I just, I helped them also. I said, is there anything I can help you with? And because of my background, I had some skills that, that were uh, different from other people they knew. And I just helped them. I didn't expect anything from it. I told them kind of my ideas of how I'd like to work together. And um, Three years in, an opportunity came up where the person that was the CEO who had some stock options and things moved on to do something else, and they said, would you like to become a partner? And I said, absolutely. So that was the evolution of getting in there. And it really, as far as for everybody that's, that's listening or watching, it really highlights to me that the best thing that you can do for yourself to advance your ability to do business with other people is to help them selfish selfishlessly does that mess selflessly with no expectation of anything in return and every time i do that that is my method of doing business anybody i meet that i talk to i end as i will with you when when we get off of this with saying you know is there anything i can do to help you and then i follow through and do whatever those things are that i can do to help them and it only pays off a thousand percent of the time so that's that's the genesis and since joining Actually, them you said that in the interview you did with Mark Anthony on your podcast. I think that was great, just the way that you guys, both of you, yeah. went through that process. Just you know, like you said, you're friends with like Denzel Washington's brother and presidents of countries and stuff, which is crazy. It, it's amazing how it leapfrogs over even just a few years into expanding your network. And I, that the cliche of your network is your net worth, I absolutely believe. All the the big advances in my business career and personal career have happened not online. They have happened belly to belly, face to face, actually talking to people. And usually that stuff happens as a result of helping other people out, connecting people and not, not trying to get in the middle of the deal and say, I'll connect you with, you know, with this guy if, uh, if you'll give me a cut, right? Well, something I found interesting about Ryan, you don't, it doesn't say too much, but I think I read one of his blog posts, like, this guy has a lot of depth that I think you can only really get to understand if you have a conversation with him one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, yeah, it, Ryan is great. He is, uh, he is shy and quiet, but very smart and a very good guy. And um, I think, like, the, I even got to know him better if you, um, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to me interviewing him on, on the Business Lunch podcast, but he's funny. He's a funny, funny guy and just wickedly wickedly good at the things that he does okay with your other companies so you're doing 
also investment banking world, what's your kind of process for assessing a company and whether you want to take it on and then once you do take it on, how do you scale it? Like, obviously, the marketing is a big part of it being able to get that side, but good marketing creates other problems in, problems in other areas you need to address to scale properly, I'm sure. Yeah, for, for sure. So so the, the process for me as far as criteria these days is I really am looking for ideally companies that are doing 10 million. I don't generally go before, below five in revenue with at least a 20, uh, not 20, excuse me, at least a 15% profit margin. So if it's a $5 million company and it's not making at least 750,000 in profit, then it, it just doesn't have enough to work with for me to do the things that I do. It doesn't mean it's a bad company. It doesn't mean it's not right for somebody else, just kind of for my sweet spot. And um, so that's the first thing. And then I have to know, I have to get to know and like the people. Um, I, I, as an attorney, you find out that people, the most, the most lawsuits come from people who don't like the people they're doing business with. So if you want to stay out of lawsuits, which I would like to do and highly recommend, it's good to be sure that you like the people and people will do deals with people they don't like because of the money. And that's, I think, a huge mistake. It, it, it makes your life unpleasant and it makes it much more likely that things won't end well. So if I've identified the company that has the financial criteria, that has the ability to grow a lot of blue sky, and um, that I think I can help by doing the things I'm good at, which is finding leverage and forming strategic partnerships and things like that, and then restructuring the way the company uh, makes its profit, then, uh, then that's, that's it. And, and it also has to be fun. If it's, if it's people I like, but they're boring and I'm not going to have any fun or the stuff I've got to do is horrible, like it's all agreements or something like that, I'm not going to do it either. I have to be able to have fun with them. I want them to become my friends. I want to be friends, business partners, and profit partners together. And if those things are present, then I'll do the deal. And as far as then how, how I approach it is I come in and I've got a whole list of things that I go through, a process, and identify the opportunity areas. And usually for me, the ones I'm best at is, okay, how are we structured and how should we restructure to make the most money? How are we, inter- how are we earning our income? Are we earning it in a way that allows us to get a higher valuation? Because companies typically sell for either one of three things. They're valued as one-time seller distributable cash or seller distributable earnings, meaning the money that you take out during a year, or a multiple of EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization, basically profits, depending on whether it's kind of a solo effort that doesn't have a lot of growth and doesn't really have a team or SOPs, standard operating procedures, or it does have those things. That's the difference between uh, seller distributable cash or a multiple of EBITDA. And then there's companies that sell for a multiple of revenue. And I, if you think about it, if you've got three different companies and they all make $5 million a year and they all make, I mean, in gross revenue, and they all generate a million dollars in profits, the seller distributable cash company is only worth a million dollars, one times what they take out. The um, other company, the second one, that is the EBITDA multiple company, let's say it's gonna get a multiple of five, well then it's gonna be worth five million, so five million versus a million, I like the five million, but the revenue multiple company 
is going to get a five times multiple on the five million revenue. That's worth 25 million. It's worth five times the other company simply because it has recurring revenue and some other characteristics. So I'm look I'm looking when I go into a deal at how can I what can I do to increase the valuation of the company, not the income but the valuation before I do anything else. And that's typically a combination of structure, how we earn our money, is there monthly recurring revenue, is there annual recurring revenue, and some other factors. And that's the very first thing. Then I go in and I look at um, are there expense centers that we can turn into profit centers? And um, are there uh, what I call bolt-on business opportunities, things that we're doing right now that we're really good at as a profit center that other companies that already have our customers that we'd like to have are not doing? And can we form a strategic partnership with them to bolt onto their company a new profit center for them that we already have and are good at? And then after that, I start looking at scale opportunities through um, through other people who have our customers that might be uh, co-marketing or co-branding opportunities where we're going after the same customers. I'll look at strategic partnerships with bigger companies like Microsoft or, or companies that have uh, uh, a particular niche like a SaaS or something like that. And um, then I look at what can we add on to the companies that we've got now? Can we add an e-commerce comp component onto an info company, an info product onto an e-commerce company. Um, how can we get bigger margins? How can we take things that are low margin and turn them into high margin? How can we reposition based on the multiples that different types of companies are selling for? When I came into Digital Marketer, it was a publishing company which typically trades at a 0.91 times sales, and we turned it into a combination of software and uh, and e-commerce and a couple of other different hmm. you had different things, models, different things. categories, and the multiple has grown 674 percent from 0.91 to I think it's at seven point something now. So just those repositioning of value and profit centers, categories of where of of the business and those partnerships and um, and income opportunities, and then last but not least, I look at what are the exit opportunities for the various profit centers of the company and then we restructure the company around which of those profit centers can be exitable so for example digital marketer as i said was a publishing company but we formed an event company for traffic and conversion summit a mastermind company from the war room a software company by turning some of the things it was doing as services into software and a uh, and an e-learning company, so we ended up with and we, we ended up with five exitable profit center companies instead of one, and some of those are significantly higher multiples. So that's that's a kind of a brief, hopefully not too much information version of that process. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and then last but not least, we look at what companies can we buy. So what other companies? There's seven categories of companies that you can buy. So that'd be competitors. Uh, supply and distribution chain, people that are uh, soft service vendors, people that are product vendors, uh, companies that have teams that you would like, companies that have media that would help you, and companies that have intellectual property you would like to acquire. And so those seven types of companies, we make a list of all of the potential acquisition candidates. And then because I'm cheap, I like to buy them for no money down. So we have eight strategies for buying those companies with no money out of pocket. And then we do all the things that I that I went through earlier to those acquisition candidates as well. 
with all that, once you've done a few exits, do you start to become a target before you even build companies? Do that other you do, actually- yeah. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we have, uh, like I said, we uh, last year we sold one of our companies. We're in the middle of exiting two more right now. And the company that bought one of our companies immediately said it was interested in acquiring two more. So it's it, it does. You like I said, rip. it's all flow, man. It's all flow. If you can get in the flow of deal of deals of companies of acquisitions of divestitures then it just starts coming at you so through that through the years of doing that it has become a lot easier to find those things than it used to be for sure from my perspective over the last few years you've been fairly quiet on building your own profile but you've started to shift that now is there any reason for that shift or yes it is um i felt that it was important as we were exiting out of several of our existing portfolio companies to build a personal brand. And I'd never done that before. So last year, was it last year, year before last, towards the end of the year, um, I decided that I should focus some of my time on personal branding. So I built a Facebook following of about a million, I think about a million, million, 200,000 fans now, and um, want to do the same thing on LinkedIn, YouTube, and uh, Instagram. And so I also decided to do a podcast because I've been wanting to do it for years. I'm in the middle of writing a book. So all of those things that you do to do personal branding that will help all of the companies that I invest in, uh, to me, just made a whole lot of sense. How come we didn't do it before? Time. time. Didn't have time. Yeah. Which is not true, I guess. I had time. I didn't choose to focus my time on that because I didn't care. I, I'm not... Yeah. You know, I don't I don't fun. seek fame, but I think that if you look at, you know, I'll, I'll give examples that obviously I'm nowhere close to. But if you look at Richard Branson and Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and the other people that have done a good job of becoming spokespeople for their companies, uh, Sarah Blakely for Spanx, I, I think it it makes a lot of sense to be a good a good spokesperson for your companies. So that I just. Did not. It wasn't important enough to me to take the time to do it in the past, and I decided that that was a mistake, and I should spend more time doing that. Okay. What are your biggest focuses now? So you've kind of got a few acquisitions happening. You've got a few things you're trying to exit. Where does the future go for you? Are you going to TV? Is there building your own station? No. It's no. Uh, it's two things. It's up leveling my network. So I'm I am. Last year, I managed to connect with uh, with three billionaires, and um, they are thinking they're either way luckier than I am, way smarter than I am, or they're just thinking in a mindset that is bigger than mine because I am not currently a billionaire. Uh, and I decided that it was important to up level my network because I totally believe that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So doing deals with people who are who have had a bigger vision and more success than I have had is important to me and that's a that's a focus for me um, also moving from I tend to like service companies and I tend to like business to business companies and I believe that the biggest opportunity is in products and services that are business to that are business to consumer opportunities because the markets are so much bigger. So I have a focus on 
doing deals that are more in the large market con mass consumer space because the opportunities I think are so much greater. So that's a that's a big focus for me. And then globalization of our existing companies and verticalization by taking what we already do well into different verticals. So the things that we do now or the products that we sell, selling those to big additional markets that we're not right now, uh, both domestically and abroad, those are those are my biggest focuses right now. I love what you guys did when you took the certifications and really formalized those and took them to corporates. I'm like, okay, these guys are getting really smart right now. Yeah, it, 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 uh, it, it made sense for a lot of reasons. The, we, we, one of the things that we look at is how can you create monthly recurring revenue and annual recurring revenue? And the other is how can you combat intellectual property piracy? And we suffered a great deal from intellectual property piracy. People would steal our courses and stream them or torrent them or do group buys or whatever. And it never makes sense to me to fight that because it, it's whack-a-mole. You know, you get you knock one out and they come up six, seven other places. So rather than fighting it, we decided that we would uh, turn we would create something that could not be knocked off. And what could not be knocked off would was a credentialed, uh, verifiable certification. And so the courses, we really don't care if people, I mean, we, we will do the things that we need to do to stop people yeah. from doing it. But, um, but we aren't so focused on that as steal our courses if you, if you must, because we can't really stop you. But what you can't do is certify the people who take them. And so we've made certification a feature and a benefit and a verifiable thing that no one else can knock off. And so that that's been a really good idea. And then also it creates monthly recurring or annual recurring revenue for people that need to recertify or take continuing education to continue to be certified. And so that's been a really uh, a really good move for us in creating recurring revenue and stopping that piracy. So do you sell to corporates as well with that? We do. Yeah, we have uh, Uber and Southwest and quite a few large companies that are customers there. How did that go, like in terms of learning that new space and how to sell for them? It, it was really hard because what we, what we did not have when we started this was an inside sales team. And if you're going to sell to corporate accounts, you have to do that. So uh, Ryan Dice and Richard Lindner both did a fantastic job in creating from scratch not only an inside sales force but a software development team. So it was uh, – and then we learned also – that we couldn't focus exclusively on those on those whales on those those big corporate accounts because the sales cycles are quite long and so if you stop focusing on focusing on smaller individual sales then you lose the income to support your team while you're going through that long sales cycle to get the bigger customers makes sense from yeah. the, from the point of view of that you guys are doing a lot of rapid learning and things that are so are fairly distinctly different to what you've started with What's your process for learning? How do you submerge yourselves? <laughs> is there a process our, our, or just read books, connect with people? It is absolutely, uh, it's a, it is uh, a, you know, as Richard Branson says, it's a screw it, let's do it attitude. It's, it's we're going to do this. We're going to try to find people who've done it before. We're going to see if they've published anything about it because books are the, the cheapest source of millions of dollars of consulting that's all consolidated down into the best stuff that that experts who've been there before you have had. And then we'll try to find someone who is a coach or mentor uh, or, or a, 
up here who has the experience who can help us with it as well. And then we just do it and we fail and make all kinds of mistakes. But uh, in the end, you've, you know, you could either be a year down the road and have it or a year down the road and not. So that's how we, that's how we look at it. It's awesome. Roland, this has been amazing. If people want to learn more about you and I guess connect further and get into your world, what's the best place for them to do that? Uh, there's a few. The So I have a website, RolandFraser.com. Uh, that's a great way to, to get a hold of me. I'm on all the socials uh, as forward slash Roland Fraser. And um, we have our Traffic and Conversion Summit event where we talk about how specifically we do all this kind of stuff. We have our War Room Mastermind where we meet four times a year and spend two days in a in a small group environment with folks. And then I have my podcast, Business Lunch, that uh, where I interview people and kind of have conversations like we're having right now. Awesome. Guys, check him out. Again, Roland's one of the guys that I really love and I've followed him for a long time. Side note, can you share that uh, travel hack somewhere? Because it is so good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I will happily do that. If anybody wants my travel hacks, uh, tell them to message me on Facebook and I will happily send it to you. So just a bit of context for everyone listening. Roland has a way of getting upgrades to pretty much every place he goes to. Whenever you see him on Facebook, he is in some baller suite and he's done it quite economically the way that he's able to use his um, influence and cards and stuff so pretty exciting fun stuff if you are traveling check out his travel hacks so until next time guys we'll see you on the next episode thank you